If you take up a sport, and I suspect many of you are sportsmen and women, and you join a club, there are expectations for you as a member. There's your annual subscription, there's time commitment, there's training, there's matches, there's fundraising, social functions. And here's our clubhouse. You get lots of enjoyment. You'll go to this clubhouse often. This one's the McConnell Pavilion, aptly named. But you see, as well as getting your name on that trophy one day, you may even get the, the pavilion itself named after you. Because if you stick around long enough with any club or organization, you'll get something. You'll, you'll go somewhere. Now, here's my question, though. How does all this club membership compare with being a Christian? How does being a Christian compare with my club membership? Well, look at chapter 8, verse uh, 34 in the passage that Rebecca read for us. Have a look. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's so different, isn't it? There's not a clubhouse in sight as Jesus speaks about what it's going to be to follow him. And in today's passage, we're going to see Jesus' explanation of what following him demands of would-be followers. And there's two requirements we're going to look at together. Two requirements. Jesus spoke these to his first disciples. Two requirements of those who would follow him. Well, following we'll see firstly um, starts with seeing clearly where we must go. So here's the first thing, verses 31 to 34. We should look to where the Son of Man must go. Now let me catch you up. Peter and the rest of the disciples were beginning to see who Jesus was. Look at verse 29, just before the passage we read today. Peter answered him, you are the Christ. So the disciples are starting to recognize that Jesus is different, he's special. And something that Mark has been determined to show us in the first half of this gospel, this book. The first half of Mark's gospel tries to answer the question, who is Jesus? And with this announcement in verse 29, there's definitely an, a, a new clarity here. Jesus is the Christ. He's this longed for Messiah, the long promised one. So why verse 30 then? Have a look. Immediately after Peter says this, look what Jesus says. And he strictly charged these disciples to tell no one about him. Now it's likely, you see, because what Peter had in mind when he said, you are the Christ, perhaps it was some kind of political leader come to lead the people to make some, cha some changes to the regime, an uprising. And so Jesus makes the strictest of charges because he's going somewhere else. Where's he going? Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. See, Jesus is not going to triumphantly lead some military rally against the Romans. 
He's going towards suffering. He'll suffer many things. And rejection. Rejection by who? By the powerful elites of the day. And to what end? Well, to die. To be killed. What's he talking about? You see, this time he's not talking in stories as the parables of the earlier chapters in, in Mark's gospel. We, we read he, he speaks verse 32 plainly. And he says he must go this way. Well, you'll notice something else here. I mean, Peter has just said in verse 29, you are the Christ. And yet Jesus doesn't use this title of himself here. When he refers to himself, Jesus says, son of man. Language that can uh, just mean a man, a son of man. But more likely here, there's language that picks up this incredible image from the Old Testament prophet of Daniel, where the son of man is spoken of, the one who would be who would have this God-given authority over all people for all time. Look at verse 38, because this seems to suggest that that's exactly what Jesus has in mind. Verse 38, just towards the end of this passage. The Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So it's likely here when he speaks Son of Man language in verse 31 that that's exactly what he has in mind. Jesus, the Son of Man. And he says, this Son of Man, look where he's going. This one with all authority, look where he's going, to suffer many things. To face rejection by those with all the, the, the earthly authority. And to be killed. And after three days rise again. It, it, it's quite shocking, and it must have been to the disciples hearing this. Plain teaching from Jesus that despite his status as the Christ, the Son of Man with all the authority he holds at his disposal, he must suffer and be rejected and killed. Why? Well, because that's exactly what God said would happen to his servant. Now, if you've, if you've heard this message before, if you've been a Christian for some years, you'll have heard about the suffering servant. The passages in Isaiah the prophet that speak of Jesus or it speaks of the one who would be despised, God's servant, who would be rejected by, by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. God said this is what would happen even to the Son of Man. And one of the questions Mark's going to try and unravel in this second half of Mark's gospel from chapter 9 now through to 16 is why that Son of Man must suffer. Peter thinks it's quite bewildering. You might do too. Why would Jesus have to suffer? And, and Peter takes him aside, verse 32, and he began to rebuke him. You see, more than unexpected or, or disappointing perhaps, Peter can't get his head around the paradox. The Son of Man, the Christ, with all authority, Going to suffer rejection and death at the hands of those with derived authority? But you see, Peter's rebuke of Jesus isn't simply a misunderstanding of Jesus, but it's actually a rejection of God's will. God had set out that this must happen. And that probably explains why Jesus rounds on him as he does. But I mean, what a strong response comes from, from Jesus. And, and you'll notice it's not just to Peter. But suddenly it says, um, he, 
verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. So this is now Peter and all the rest of the disciples. Maybe Peter's stepped forward as the spokesman. But what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. Very strong words. Get behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Peter, your attitude and the rest of you disciples is bent towards human concerns rather than God's concerns. Now, notice that it's not that Peter's possessed by Satan here. He's just showing a rejection. I say just, but he's showing a rejection of God's things that is closer aligned with Satan than with God. And it's a very, very dangerous place. Even as he sees something of Jesus' astounding identity, you are the Christ, verse 29. He's still in a very dangerous place now as he rebukes the Son of Man. As I see it, there are plenty of attempts these days to impose things on Jesus that he didn't represent. And sometimes even deliberate attempts from, from Christian groups or so-called Christian groups and churches who will almost try to hide the suffering and the rejection and the, the death of Jesus and focus on something else. Perhaps you've come across this kind of, of teaching. You see, Jesus was a great teacher he, he, his humanity, his love towards outsiders. And so there's a, almost a rejection of the suffering, rejected, dying son of man, in favor of something enriching to the human condition. But the Bible says the son of man must suffer. Jesus says it. He must be rejected. He must die. He must be killed even and rise again. Well, think about your life personally, though, as well. I mean, is there anything of a rebuke to Jesus in the way we treat him, in the way you act towards him? Or will we listen this morning of the rebuke that comes back from Jesus, of attitudes that are often more out of step than we might think? Attitudes that put the things of man before the things of God. Honestly speaking, are you demanding that Jesus fits into your life and goals and hopes and dreams? Demanding all the benefits of a club membership? Setting your sights on that perpetual trophy or the McConnell Pavilion? A clubhouse to somehow be named after us and which Jesus will fit into? Or are we setting our life course that follows him come what may? That just says, Here's Jesus, the suffering, rejected, son of man with all the authority. This demands everything from me. Think about your life. Think about how you're living, your choices, even the micro choices. Now notice what follows from here. Because secondly, um, the second requirement, if you like, that Jesus is expecting from his, his followers is Jesus' plain teaching on what a right response to him might look like. Peter's shown a wrong response and been rebuked for it. Well, now Jesus steps in, and if these words were read in the Bible, the words of Jesus, there's an awful lot of red now until we get to 9 verse 1. These are all Jesus' words. We need to follow them closely. What's he saying? Well, quite simply, the Son of Man is headed to rejection and suffering and death, and you must go there too. You must follow. Go the same way, Jesus says. 
Go there too. Follow him. Verse 34. And calling the crowd to him. So that's a wider group with his disciples. He said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Followers of Jesus called to do three things. Okay, what are those things? Deny self, take up a cross, and follow him. That repetition of the following. Now it's Lent. Um, Easter's quite late this year, but we're right in the middle of Lent. And I want you to consider the difference between two things. What's the difference between denying things to yourself and denying yourself? What's the difference? There is a really big one. What's the difference between denying chocolate or eating after 8 o'clock or crisps or whatever thing you, you insert to yourself and denying yourself? There's a world of difference, isn't there? Not having chocolate for a few weeks against telling yourself to get out of the driving seat of your own life. Denying the self that wants to be king. And there was a little girl, well, she's not that old, she was nine on the radio this week. And the, the, the radio host said to her in the middle of his interview, he said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Has anyone asked you that recently? Well, hopefully they're still asking you. Well, what did this little girl say? What do you want to be when you grow up? And it's a really interesting thing. She said straight away, without even thinking, she said, I want to be my own boss. I want to be my own boss. You see, that's exactly the same as you and me. We want to be our own boss. We want to do the same thing. We don't want to deny the self. I want to do what I want. The self wants to rule. I want to be king. I want to be the McConnell Pavilion. I want to dictate my own life. And we're told that this is right by the world. By, I mean, everything around us, culture, school, television, movies. Fulfillment is self-fulfillment. Isn't it? They're the same thing. We almost don't need the self anymore. Fulfill yourself. But you know that nine-year-olds in our culture are more anxious than they've ever been? Did you know that? There's an anxiety epidemic among our young people because they're so fulfilling themselves. They're so missing the way we were called to live. And Jesus says, deny yourself. Mark's gospel, we've seen that it's out of man's heart or a woman's heart, or a boy's heart, or a girl's heart. The self that comes evil. That human heart condition's chronic, it's congenital. That self-allegiance that the Bible calls sin. You see, we can go ahead and join all the clubs of life with that main personal objective in place of self-fulfillment, making life decisions, being our own bosses. But to that, Jesus says, no, if you're going to follow me. To follow Jesus means denying self. To live to follow him, even when my goals are, imagine, unreached. Or my needs, imagine, unmet. Now the next phrase here is dreadful. Take up his cross. Jesus tells followers to take up their cross. Now the disciples in the crowd Jesus spoke to, they would have got this reference to crucifixion, where the condemned man carries a cross member of his own cross to the place where he would die a shameful, brutal death in full view of everybody. But walking after Jesus? He said it's a, 
It's like a willingness to do that walk of shame with the crowd jeering. You're a condemned criminal, spitting in your face. Look at you off to your death. And then the repetition. Follow me. Deny yourself. Take up that cross and follow me. Now, then there's a few statements that all begin in the same way with the word for. And, and they're almost unpacking and expanding what it means to deny self, to take up cross and follow Jesus. So have a look at each of them. Just briefly look at them. The next verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Well, the answer there, rhetorically speaking, nothing. doesn't gain a man anything. Verse 37. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Nothing. Verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me, of Jesus, in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know, can you see the picture emerging here? It's radical Christian discipleship. Radical discipleship. No badge to carry and get on with it. Um, whenever I was eight, I was a member of the WWF. Now, not wrestling, think a little further back. The Worldwide Fund for Nature. Oh, yes. And I was sent my membership card and a picture of a panda to put in the back window of the car. I was a member of the WWF. Now, it didn't really make much bearing on my life. I had the card in my wallet uh, with my pound notes, yes, I'm that old. And I had the sticker on the back of my parents' car. And that was what we were. But Jesus is calling us to something radical. Something will-requiring. Something that requires you to resolve something. Something that will grab the attention of your peers as you walk past them as a Christian. And they'll at best think it's weird and a bit much. But at worst, they'll ignore you and mock you and deny you a promotion. And notice those words Jesus is using. Life and soul. You see, allegiance to Jesus is not a membership card carrying kind of allegiance. It demands my life and my soul. Look at verse 38 just for a minute. You see, the truth is that the eternal destiny of human beings demands on the relationship to Jesus. Isn't that startling from this verse? As, as Jesus moves from what it costs to follow him to show the truth in Scripture that the, what you think of Jesus will determine your eternal destiny. Whether we're ashamed of him now will have a bearing later. Our lives, verse 35, our souls, verse 36 and 37, are at stake when it comes to how we respond to Jesus and his words. Here's what Mark is trying to get us to see. Mark was writing for Christians, and perhaps some people who hadn't heard the gospel, but he wants them to, to review. He wants them to Followers of Jesus to review our discipleship against this high demand of those who will follow after him. Are, are, am, am I in right relationship with him? But let's also be careful here. Now here's, here's how we could go wrong as we do this kind of review. You see, if we review our, our discipleship 
we also have to remember that being a good disciple of Jesus doesn't earn us his salvation. Mark will help us see that it's where Jesus is going and what Jesus will do, his suffering and rejection and death and rising again that provides the way. You see, Christian disciples at their best are never salvation self-earners either. Let's be careful. Instead, Christians have a self-denial and cross-carrying focus on the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Here's the review that Mark is calling us to. But it's not just a review. Look at the light it takes place in. And I know some of you are being blinded by the light um, coming in through this, these wonderful skylights. But look at the light that Mark has already shone on things as we make this review. Do you know what that light is? Look at who Jesus is being revealed to be after eight chapters of Mark's gospel. Remember Mark said this was the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then we saw he was the stronger one as John the Baptist pointed to him. He's got the authority over sickness, over evil, over nature, even death. He's the one bringing the new exodus as he feeds thousands of people with a few scraps. Jesus, the miraculous rescuer, and now stunningly, the authority-wielding Son of Man, conferred with God's authority over all people and all times. So as we review our discipleships, this is the Jesus we're following. As we review our commitment to him, we have this amazing picture of the reality of the one who not only calls for our allegiance, but deserves it. Isn't that spectacular? There was a song in the 90s that said, is there anyone who could say no to this man? Is there anyone who can say no? Who could stand and say no to the one who now tells his closest friends to follow me, even if it costs your life? Short-term loss is worth the long-term gain. That's what Jesus is saying. Are you convinced by that logic? And we talk about it quite a lot. You know, short-term denial of self, suffering, death. Is it worth it? Is that logic true? Well, that's what the Bible says. And so think about where we've been in this passage. Will we move from the rebuke of, of verse 33 to the review of these verses in 35 to 38? And then on to something else. A, a new resolve as Christians. And if you are a Christian, let me call you to that this week. A new resolve, resolution, not to earn salvation, but a resolution that this sovereign, mighty Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, deserves my full allegiance. And an allegiance that involves giving up everything this world has to offer. And an allegiance that will make me feel uncomfortable. Let me challenge you if you're, if you're young in the faith or if you're younger. Maybe you've felt all the, the voices calling you to do different things with your life. And you're, you're at that point of decision. You're thinking, where will my life go? All the choices before me. Well, let me challenge you to look at this man, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. And let me challenge you to resolve to follow him. You're not going to get it right every day or every week. But you can review things and come back in the light of who he's revealed himself to be in the Bible. You will suffer in the short term. They'll call you names. They called me names. 
I'd say everyone here sitting has been called a name or mocked or jeered for being part of the God squad or a Jesus freak or a Bible basher. But here's what's worth it. The one who will one day come on the clouds with the glory of his father. He will one day take you to be with him. And it's so much better worth than sitting with your peers feeling smug that you're in the right group. Did you notice where Jesus points here? After the cross, there's glory. Look at verse 38. He talks about it as well as this warning. He's coming again. And then 9 verse 1. He helps his disciples, his followers anticipate. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. You see, after the cross comes glory. That's the logic. That's the call to follow him. Is there anyone who could say no to this man? Our final song. Uh, we're going to pray just, just now, but our final song sings, My heart is filled with thankfulness. And then it repeats that call to give up everything, to follow him. Let's pray for a moment, and then we're going to sing this song. We'll just sing as we are seated. Let's sit down. Think about the words. They're in the bulletin. They're on the screen. But let's pray for a moment. Father God, what a revelation of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Help us to see where he must go and then to follow. Help us to move from that rebuke we may be feeling back to reviewing our commitment and then to resolving to live again for you, tasting suffering now but glory to come. Better than any clubhouse chance to spend eternity with our Lord and Savior. Father, show us this. Help us to see this. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.